Hey everyone, welcome back to Adhere and Apologetics. Glad you're joining us today. Today I have Apologetics Squared and Plantinga Sheepdog. Plantinga's Bulldog for some reason didn't decide to show up. Um, we're just going to talk about my recent debate on is evil strong evidence against God. So Squared, Kyle, um, guys, how's it going? Going good, thank you. Doing pretty well, thanks for asking. Yeah, so we're going to jump into this in just a moment, but in case you didn't know, I did a debate recently uh, with Emerson Green on the problem of evil and the question of is evil strong evidence against God. Uh, today we're just doing like a review, just talking about some things that I sucked about, that some things we might want to criticize Emerson on in a friendly and loving way a little bit. Um, and yeah, just have a good time and hopefully use it to bring the dialogue further and just have a lot of fun with it. Um, so mm -hmm. do you guys have anything you want to say before we get, we get into this debate review? Oh, uh, nope. I don't have anything particularly insightful. Let's go. I'm going to absolutely shred both of you to pieces. You're going to be embarrassed that you ever took the stage to debate. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, I Wait. mean, I don't know. At least I'll destroy me. you lovingly, you know, with, with the purest <laughs> oh, form okay. of love, which is hard criticism. Yeah, Square, no I'll get to watch. Because... <laughs> Square's the bystander for this massacre. Yeah. That's about to occur. Um, <laughs> what we're doing today is uh, yeah. if you didn't see the debate, it's linked down below. It might be helpful to check this out beforehand because we're not going to really be playing clips or anything. So it's linked down below. Really fun, interesting debate. And today we're just going to talk about um, we have four different sections breaking down. So we're going to dive right in. Uh, so the first thing we want to talk about, we're just like preliminary thoughts on the debate and what's going on. Uh, so I'm just going to go first and then we'll give it to Kyle and then we'll give it to Squared. So I can at least say my piece before Kyle destroys me. So basically all I wanted to say in this thought was just like my approach coming into this debate was – like, is evil strong evidence against God? So, I mean, I think if you look at it in, like, a Bayesian kind of way, which is, like, probably my preferred, like, methodology for, like, these kind of things, like, it has to be inevitable that if you frame the argument right, evil would be considered, like, some evidence against God. The question is, like, how good good, good is it? Um, and I believe just for a, numer a number of reasons, it wasn't strong evidence against God. Um, so, yeah, that's my main approach was saying, sure, we can concede that it is some, but it's really not significant evidence against God. And my approach to that was just to say, hey, uh, one, there's like this morning shift worry where there's a bunch of other arguments. And then two, uh, just saying, well, here's possible Christian defenses or theodicies about why what Christ why evil may seem initially um, kind of surprising given theism, but it's actually not the case. And then I just took this debate because I think it's super important to, to defend the problem of evil or to, you know, engage in debates like this because, you know, it's probably the best objection to Christianity. And Emerson gave definitely one of the more challenging forms of it. Um, so I'll turn to you, Kyle. Yeah, and I will say that like the, the theist isn't even necessarily committed um, to even, you know, having it be evidence, right? So there's a small – Emerson didn't seem to – be aware of this, or maybe he was, and he was just being, uh, you know, overexpressive about it. But I mean, there's a small cottage industry of um, people making Bayesian theodicies. So there's plenty of those out there. I mean, you have Doherty, you have Robin Collins, you have Swinburne, and those are just like the well-known ones. There's plenty of people that have done it. Um, so that is just to say that, um, you know, there is a, a possibility that uh, we don't even have to necessarily commit to it as being um, evidence simpliciter. But I also agree, you know, you, you did well with the debate topic. Um, so anyhow, Dustin was a really great mod. I was really happy. Um, he did a great job, and he should keep doing it. Um, and then uh, I don't know. It was I don't know what the deal was with this, but why'd you start if you didn't hold the affirmative? Yeah, we actually didn't plan that. Like we like we had a very loose format kind of going into the debate. Um, so I assumed that Emerson was gonna go, but we didn't really talk about it. So Dustin said, "Zach, you want to go first? And I was like, "Well, sure, might as well." So that that was basically it. 
I like it. Yeah, and then just the other thing is that you know both of you guys did pretty good throughout the debate, um, but definitely some good opportunity for uh, um, improvement on both sides in some particular areas. So that's always that's always good though. I think having opportunities to improve is is a good thing, not a bad thing. What are your thoughts squared? Oh yeah. So I have like obviously thoughts on like the individual arguments, but I'm gonna save that for later. Right now, I'm just like gonna I guess comment on the presentation. I think both of you had really strong presentations. Like Emerson, um, he had a lot of confidence in what he was presenting, and you managed to like you can give a lot of information quickly. So I think that's like a strength of your presentation style. So on both sides, there was like really really solid presentation. You thought so. I talked fast. I guess now it's over to the arguments. <laughs> I just, just, just smidge, I just a smidgen. <laughs> I tried so hard. Like well, I did the no, like not this engineer. And, mm -hmm. Yeah, I was no, saying, it like, wasn't like, like engineer, as fast as your debate with Godless fast. Engineer, but like. <laughs> well, we're yeah. really bad at this. I think you um, talked fast enough. For, no, you didn't talk. Sorry, my internet is lagging behind. So when, whenever I interrupt you, that's unintentional. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Well, I think we kind of covered it. Um, we're getting slower and slower. You're all good squared. We'll just blame your internet, not you. <laughs> um, but we'll go into the first section here that we're going to look at, or the second section, and that is the principle of indifference. So it's an important part of this debate was uh, Emerson's formulation. And he basically says something like the probability of suffering given indifference is higher than the probability of suffering given theism. And he talked about with suffering regards like certain facts about like animal suffering and specifically like teleological evils. Um, so the big point of contestation here, at least from my perspective, was not that the facts in of themselves are evidence, but how do you get to these facts in the first place? So Emerson talks about like assuming that certain facts about teleological evils are true in the real world and that indifference can better explain these facts better than he can explain these facts better than theism. But the problem, at least that I was trying to bring up, is that indifference doesn't explain why these facts exist rather than other facts at all. So you have to make that big jump um, from there being like indifference. Sure, if these facts are in like in existence, sure, I could say, yeah, it's some evidence. But the problem was like, what about indifference predicts that there'd be this conscious of life that allows for these facts in the first place? And I think when considering the question of like, is evil strong evidence against God? Like, that's a very important thing to consider because like, I wonder like how strong this evidence can be if your hypothesis doesn't predict that the facts allowing for this thing um, would occur in the first place. And uh, my friend Jono had a really good review that he published, I believe yesterday, and he kind of elaborates this a lot more, um, but I'll turn it over to Kyle so you can destroy me with facts and logic. Yeah. Um, so I think the first thing is, is that um, I, I don't think you, so you, you had the right idea in mind, the absolutely right idea in mind with what you were articulating to Emerson. But I think you articulated in a way that sort of threw him off a little bit. And so I think that this is the main thing. And so this is what I'm going to say. So, so the first thing is um, he laid out a, um, uh, he laid out some, some equations in a Bayesian format um, in his presentation. And so um the, the, he, I basically, I dispute his equations on a Bayesian level. So um, he says that the probability of suffering on indifference is quite high. But we need to ask two things. So first of all, we need to ask, like, what sort of propositions constitute the hypothesis of indifference? Um, so basically, what is, it, what is it made of? Like, like, when I ask you what is the hypothesis of indifference, you need to tell me what it is. And then I need to ask, like, from that, what are we predicting? Like, what is the propositions that you just laid out that constitute your hypothesis? What does it predict and why? And so I think it's patently false to say that like 
indifferent predicts anything remotely like suffering. Now, what's more true to say is that at least prima facie, evil is unexpected on theism. And so when we compare our two hypotheses, um, even though, you know, uh, evil isn't strictly predicted per se by hypothesis of indifference. Um, it's unlikely on theism. And so um, the evidence of suffering is better expected by proxy of the fact that it's unexpected on theism. So it's not getting any evidential weight from its predictive power so much as um, it's getting it from the putative disconfirmation of theism. And so it seems very plausible to say something like, um, like uh, you know, hypothesis of indifference, that it predicts evil, that's strictly speaking false, I think. Um, at least by itself, I think it's strictly speaking false. Um, but I can agree that like via disconfirmation of the compared hypothesis, namely theism, um, that the relevant data is more expected. Um, but that's but saying that the, the data is less expected on the opposing hypothesis is really different from saying that the original hypothesis, the hypothesis of indifference, actually predicts the data. Um, and then also uh, the other thing is I agree with Emerson that he doesn't need to show um, the probability of the evidence on the hypothesis of indifference is high so long as it's low on theism. Um, and this is true, and it means that evil would constitute evidence against theism. However, he does need to properly make the inference from the fact of its being evidence to its being like strong evidence. So something can be, um, gosh, so, so going back to Swinburne, so Swinburne makes a distinction between um, what he calls P-inductive arguments and, and C-inductive arguments. Um, and a good p-inductive argument is just um, a an argument which um, for which the evidence makes the hypothesis a little more likely. But then a c-inductive argument makes the hypothesis more probable than not. And so I think Emerson and, and Emerson had a lot of issues I thought in the debate with actually defending his burden of proof that it was strong evidence. Um, that was my big critique of him, other than the hypothesis of indifference stuff. And so um, all that is to say, all that long winding stuff is to say. Um, that I feel like he should have defended that it's strong evidence um, and like shown why it's evidence and also should have been more you know semantically precise with what he was saying about the hypothesis of indifference. It's all you squared. Okay. Yeah. So um, my critique would be like, it's not clear where, conscious the existence of conscious animals go like come in when we're considering indifference is the fact that conscious animals exist already built into indifference that kind of makes it like quite an unsimple hypothesis just from the get-go so it's like intrinsically unlikely but then if you you didn't like argue in any uh way that i could tell that like the, you would expect these conscious animals on indifference so I, the way i visualize it is like I visualize qualia as like these little floaty orbs, floaty glowy orbs. It's like, like you can go from um, on indifference, it's more likely that these floaty glowy orbs would be uh, qualia of suffering. But the fact that you have like these qualia in the first place, that seems to be better predicted by theism. So I think that's actually like um, pretty devastating because um, you have the way he offered indifference up to be a real contender for theism, it, should, it shouldn't have um, the same kind of barrier that it has to overcome that theism does. Yeah, you, there's obviously this kind of barrier for the, on theism to try and explain why there's this, the, the consciousness in the world consists of suffering, but he's like offer, he's built in a barrier himself into indifference and needing to try and explain why the consciousness is there in the first place. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah I, and, and I was oh, sorry. Yeah, go, ahead. go ahead, Kyle. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, just to add to that a little bit, um, is that there's a point later on where Emerson talks about comparing hypotheses, and I think he was right about one thing, right? Is that the way you were going about um, doing theodicies, you were adding auxiliary hypotheses to theism. Mm-hmm. Um, but like he wants it to be very simple, but he literally, I mean, he explicitly says that his hypothesis is all natural processes plus indifference, which is like a stupendously complicated hypothesis with like so much conceptual content. And given how complex he's just made it, it's not at all obvious that you have like, um, you got a more complex hypothesis. Like he's stretching his limits because it seems like, um, you know, being unexpected on theism ought to be enough, but he's added all this conceptual content of like all natural processes in order to make it predicted on the hypothesis of indifference. And that's just like, man, you're just way, way, way lowering mm-hmm. your, not- um, your, your intrinsic probability. Do you want to add something squared? Mm-hmm. And like even adding all that to his hypothesis doesn't really get you conscious. Pardon? You cut that? off there a little bit. Uh, you cut off a little bit there. Oh. Oh, what I was saying was that even if you add all that, yeah, even if you add all, all that um, stuff into your hypothesis, it doesn't obviously get you consciousness. So I guess that's yeah. repeating myself, but yes, there you go. Yeah, no, I agree. And like it, 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 it at least makes it, you know, we're all talking about epistemic possibility here. So as long as it's not logically impossible, there's still a non-zero probability of any given thing um, being conjoined with any other um, hypothesis, like the likelihood of that is, is automatically non-zero. Um, but um, and but even if you add natural processes, I agree that it's not obvious that that makes it likely that there's conscious life or other things. And remember, I mean, we, we need conscious life in order to have <laughs> suffering. But if you don't have conscious life, you don't have suffering. And if your hypothesis doesn't predict it, and I'm just saying that I think that Emerson could have made his claim more mild um, and the more reasonable claim, which is that on the hypothesis of indifference, um, or that on theism it's unexpected and that therefore the hypothesis of indifference gains some evidential weight from that. I think that's the more modest and the better claim to make as a Bayesian. Yeah, I think it's tricky because like we didn't really talk about like in the beginning, like I didn't really tell him if I, if I considered like evil, like evidence against God, like in the first place. And we did, we did a little bit of like very little dialogue back and forth before the debate on like what makes evidence strong. Um, and you both agreed that like arguments are like person-based and things like that. So that makes it more of a challenge. But, like to me, like when I think about the argument from evil, like this is a really big problem. Um, Cause like Emerson talks about like, and I think a very fair criticism, like later in the debate where like with my like theodicies or defenses, like I add in these auxiliary hypotheses and, but like for the to run the problem of evil in the first place, like Emerson has to do that. Cause it seems like, like given theism, the probability of like just conscious life existing is significantly higher than um, indifference, like you guys have just both been saying, I'm really saying the same thing over again. Um, so Emerson, like before we can even run a problem of evil, we're gonna have to have all these auxiliary hypotheses that indifference doesn't predict to allow for there to be this conscious life, which allows for there to be potentially this evil, um, and then we can run the problem of evil. Um, so yeah, do you guys have anything you wanna add? Um, oh, one, next- one last thing just on the the like back end of what you're saying is I don't think that they need it, right? I don't think that they need that. Um, but if you want to say something like hypothesis of indifference predicts such and such, then you need it. But I mean, if you look in the literature, people like um, Draper and Leon and stuff like that, 
the way they use this is they use it as disconfirmatory evidence. So they're saying this evidence is at odds with theism. And so when we disconfirm one of our hypotheses and put that off the table for a given piece of evidence or say the probability is really low for one piece of evidence, then all the other hypotheses at the table get to take a step up. And so that's where, that's all we're saying for, for evil. And that's all that Emerson needs to say. But I just, like I said, I, 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 I don't dispute that it could be evidence in principle, um, even if you just use the hypothesis of indifference, because obviously, I mean, that's done all the time in the literature. What I'm disputing is the claims about this is predicted and then saying that, you know, you, the, the idea of it being predicted on the hypothesis of indifference, I think, is strictly speaking false. And I've had uh, email discussions with Paul Draper, and he agrees with me about this. Um, so, you know, don't take my word for it. Go ask him yourself. But anyhow, that's that's what I'll say. Way to flex on us saying that you talk with Paul Draper, you know, look at you, Kyle. I try. Yeah. Um, all right. I'm guessing Square doesn't have anything else to add. Um, so what we do now is we'll go to section three um, of this. We have an outline. So we have four sections in case you didn't know. Um, and now we're going to look at like Emerson's argument specifically, um, which was an interesting argument um, from teleological evil, which was really interesting because like I listened to a lot of Emerson stuff thinking about like this debate. And he never, as far as I understand, brought this like specific argument before. Like he brought up like animal suffering and such. So I was prepared for like animal suffering, but I wasn't specifically prepared for this argument, which isn't an excuse, but it's just like, it's a very like new and fresh argument from evil, um, which is really interesting and worth thinking about. So we're going to talk about this. Um, and as always, encourage you to like listen to the debate if you want to know what Emerson's saying, um, because we're just, like, we're just reviewing this debate, assuming that you've like listened to this. So it's like a listener's guide almost. Um, so my notes here um i made these notes after squared so like i agree a lot with like with what squared is gonna say and i can't endorse power or not because he doesn't actually leave notes he just leaves numbers and letters um but like it just seems to me like i was reading this book by john schneider um came out like a year or two ago on like the darwinian problem of evil and like given like this evidence about evolution like what does that let us think think about the problem of evil and it seems like to me that like given the idea that God would defeat these evils and then provide some good for them, it seems within God's rights to have these like teleonomic evils. Um, like Emerson talks about like animals, um, not just like trying to survive through predation, but causing suffering, like it's seemingly like un undeserved suffering or unneeded suffering through these like evils. Um, but it seems like to me, like, if God has some purpose for these, um, it seems within his rights to have these evils. And if God has a reason to like use some sort of like evolutionary story that I don't really see the issue. Um, so then the question then becomes, at least in my mind, it was like, well, does God have reason to use an evolutionary story? And if you go back into this debate, um, I gave a few different reasons. I believe I did on like, why would God use like an evolutionary story or a suffering with like an old earth? Um, and I talked about different things like an old earth allowing to be an alternative explanation to theism um lots of death there's lots of life um and i talked about the potentiality which was a little controversial that given theism there's really no confirmation the animal actually actually suffers um and these are the kind of the points where he gets after me for the um fairly the auxiliary hypothesis thing um evolution isn't the end of the story given theism um potential of like animal afterlife and soul building for animals and just all kinds of things um but like once again i kind of just went all over the place but yeah what do you guys think um so we'll go to kyle yeah, so I have a few thoughts on this. So first thing I want to say is that actually, um, you know, I helped you prep a little bit for this debate, and you had you originally were like, oh, let's do a mock debate, and so I prepared a mock debate, and this is actually I thought it's hilarious because predation was one of the things I was going to bring up. Um, now I'm not familiar with Leon's work on it, but one of my absolute favorite atheist philosophers, uh, the late Quentin Smith, rest in peace. Um, uh, he had an argument called an argument from evil natural laws, 
And I think that that's probably one of the most formidable um, pieces of evidence of evil um, that can be drawn. So I was I was quite pleased that Emerson brought it up because, um, and I, like I said, I come from a tradition of people who appreciate uh, those sorts of arguments. Um, so with respect to his actual argument, um, yeah, I think one thing I was really worried about the whole the whole discussion was that Emerson didn't, you know, his he has a burden. He has the affirmative. He has the burden to, um, you know, support that evil is both evidence and strong evidence. I never really felt like he did that. He sort of threw some stuff out there, like, um, you know, I would I wouldn't do this or whatever, and that sort of thing. Um, and then he then he had some things about seemings and phenomenal conservatism, which um, is great maybe if you accept phenomenal conservatism, but if you're a based uh, classical foundationalist like me, it's not going to do much. Um, but uh, anyhow, like um, I was a little worried when he got to his argument, he didn't defend that as much as he could. Um, with respect to these things, um, I don't know. There's a few things to say. Maybe I'm trying to pick out my notes. What's maybe most important to get to? Um, you know, so the first thing is he makes this claim about the purpose of these things being to cause suffering. Um, but I'm not sure, like, I think it's worth asking, like, is the purpose to cause other beings to suffer or to survive? And like the suffering is the consequence. Um, and obviously it could be either one. I think it's fair to assume the former rather than the latter, just so we're arguing against the strongest position. Um, but I felt like he ought to have qualified, like, um, what he meant by that. Um, and then the other thing, this is, I think, a really important one. Um, is is evolution part of the design plan? Um, like, I think that's a really important question to ask. Um, now, I think that there's some, if you're familiar as I am, uh, at least tangentially with the um, coherence of theism literature um, and models of God and stuff, uh, some of the claims he made about like God's position and foreknowledge relating to creation is a little bit, there's some nuance that you could put in there, but put that aside for a little bit. Um, Jonah said that, in his blog post that I was a Molinist, and I don't remember ever saying I was a Molinist. But I mean, I guess maybe I, I don't know, maybe I am. I'm not really. <laughs> I know Square would be happy if I was, probably. Um, but I would be sorry. greatly dismayed, as you know. But you know, <laughs> whatever. Zach doesn't care what happens to me, and I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> uh, and so uh, there's a there's a great paper that I want to recommend to everyone. So my favorite favorite philosopher ever, best metaphysician of our time, bar none, Peter Van Inwagen. Um, he has some fantastic philosophy of religion work. And there is a particular paper um, that is called The Place of Chance in a World Sustained by God. And there's just a lot of fascinating ground that he treads there. But I think that the thing is that, um, you know, there's there's a claim that Emerson makes. He's like, you think that they were designed by God. Um, and then also, um, uh, you know, asking the question of is evolution part of the design plan? Um, and I'm not sure that we, strictly speaking, have to affirm either one of those. Now, I have reasons for thinking that if God creates, he will use evolution to do so. But um, that, you know, I think that Emerson would would rightfully follow up. Well, he doesn't necessarily have to do it in such an evil way. Um, but this is what Wagon brings up in his paper. He's like, um, if we have reason to think, well, at least this is how I would like to read what he's saying. Um, if we have reason to think that God has reason to instantiate chance, um, then things that happen by those chants, like he's still responsible for those things, but we can't say that they're part of the plan. So maybe when God um, creates the world, he decrees something like, let there be conscious creatures. And that is the plan of God, right? Um, and so maybe if in the course of that, there's some morally reprehensible things um, that happen, maybe God is still responsible for that, right? But that's sort of relevantly different from it being a part of his plan and his intention. 
And Emerson like seemed to like make some sort of rhetorical comments to the to the effect that he's like, well, the theist is committed to it being like, oh, God looks down on creation and and sees that it's good with respect to all the evil and suffering. Um, but that's not really the case. And I and, and I would sort of forward everyone to that um, Van and Wagon paper. Andrew Bailey uh, keeps a site with all of Van and Wagon's papers on it, um, so you can find it online there for free. Um, but anyhow, that's what I would say is that the theist really isn't committed to what Emerson said he is insofar as thinking that for any particular um, feature of nature that God is directly responsible for that or that he directly intended that to be the case in the world. What are your thoughts, Squared? Yeah, I resonate with a lot of what Kyle said. Um, basically, I would, yeah, I'd say um, Emerson needs to make some assumptions about how the intention-forming faculties of God work. Like, I was thinking about it like this way, like, could um, he, like, we have some lion. Uh, what, what should the lion be named? Tom. Okay, we have Tom the lion. Could God intend that Tom the lion exists without intending um, that Tom the lion have uh, fangs and claws? And he simply foresee that he's going to have these suffering, that Tom's going to have these suffering causing um, structures while intending the good of there being a lion. It's like, I'm, is that possible? Is that not? Well, I, I don't need to make an argument. For, well, I'm not actually like debating Emerson, but like Emerson would have to like make some, add some like auxiliary, or he'd have to argue that the way God forms his intentions, he couldn't intend to just have Tom the lion. He'd have to intend everything about Tom the lion, including his suffering causing structures. Hmm. Like um, Emerson was basically trying to say like, there's a special problem with uh, animals that have these suffering causing structures over and above natural ev evils like earthquakes, because God would have to have intended these suffering causing structures. But that's like, if you already believe that natural selection just working on its own is going to be able to produce these suffering causing structures, then maybe that's what God did. He just, he foresaw that na uh, natural selection would cause these suffering causing structures, but he, that's not part of his intention that that happens. He just foresees that it leads to greater goods, so he doesn't stop natural selection from doing that. Hmm. Yeah. That's interesting. Um, do you have anything else you want to add, Squared? Because um, it's like that delay. It's like I don't want to like cut you off. Yeah. Um, so. Mm -hmm. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Um, um, this I think probably the weakest part of your debate, Zach, was um, – that when you offered a possibility of like a an animal-based kind of theodicy, um, you didn't give like an argument for how expected it would be on theism. Like, mm -hmm. I, I think you could argue that like an animal afterlife would be ha highly expected given theism. Um, so like in a Bayesian context, that would be a much better response than offering the mere possibility of um, an animal afterlife. Mm -hmm. And also, yeah. I'm going to throw this out there because it's just uh, under. Oh, sorry. No, just no, because it's underappreciated. So but there's like, slack. okay, there's one. There's one theodicy I want to bring up. It wasn't mentioned in the debate at all. But the, the non-identity theodicy. That's like the origin of a creature is essential to it. Um, like the idea is, you have two dogs. You have your dog Fido, and then you make a clone of it. Which ones? your the real Fido which one's the fake Fido we have this intuition that the real Fido is the one that came from like dog parents and the uh, the 
one that was cloned is like a fake Fido or it's not the original. So we have like this intuition that the origin of a specific creature is somehow a part of it. But if that's the case, then all the animals that um, exist because of an evolutionary process couldn't have existed uh, without that evolutionary process. And I think that's a really interesting theodicy when you combine it with like an animal afterlife because the non-identity theodicy, it gives you like the justification for why the animal exists, but not the compensation. And then the animal afterlife, it gives you the compensation for why the animal exists, but not the justification. So. That's actually really interesting. I just find that interesting. No, I haven't thought about that. Yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, and I think you're right. Like, it's so like when I went into this debate, like my thought was like, um, in my notes, like I had a bunch of different, like say like, here's some possible defenses. Um, Cause I was thinking like, okay, so let's say that like, this um, teleonomical evil is like probability like one or close to one. I was like, okay, well, here's this reason why maybe God would want this sort of like process to un uh, to occur. So maybe like here's point one reason why to think to be the case. Um, here's an animal afterlife um, kind of like defense. So here's point two and just kind of like give me different defenses to build the probability up um, to show it's really not that unexpected given theism, given like possible ways of like um, explaining things. So I definitely regret doing that. Like it would have been better to stick with like what I think is like the best solution, um, which I'm not completely sure which is my fate, like my, the one that's most plausible to mine. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's kind of all I really have for this little bit. Um, do you guys have anything else you want to add here? Yeah, I got one more thing. Shocker. Um, is uh, actually, I was, this is probably the best time to put it in, but um, Emerson, you sort of brought up the, the, Bruce's answer at one point. Um, yeah, with, I brought up the neo-Cartesianism. Yeah, the neo like, well, maybe the animal doesn't even feel pain. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so I will say that I thought that, I, well, for one, I think that neo-Cartesianism is pure garbage. So I want to acknowledge <laughs> that. I'm a full, I'm a disciple of Trent Doherty in this. Uh, I think it's really bad. And I think Emerson would agree. But I will say I didn't think his uh, arguments there were all that impressive because he kind of made like an argument from consequence against it from Descartes' followers. And then he kind of begged the question against it a little bit. He's like, oh, it's obvious that there's a hierarchical difference between plant and animal suffering. But it seems to me that that's like only the case if, um, you know, if neo-Cartesianism is false. And so it, it's only it's like the only reason that you would think that is if you think that neo-Cartesianism is false. So I will say that um, I would maybe just encourage Emerson, um, you know, read Doherty. Doherty has some good stuff. Um, dang, there's a lady and she has written some really good responses to neo-cartesian adams no i don't think she's a philosopher of uh or i don't think she's a theist but anyhow she's written some really good responses to that view so i would just encourage emerson i guess to bring some better heat to neo-cartesianism because i mean i'm in full agreement with him it needs to be put down um but we just need to do we need to do that in a quality way um and uh, dismantle it bit by bit rather than just um throwing stuff at it so yeah, I mean, Emerson does know his stuff on consciousness, so I'm sure he has responses to that. Um, so, um, Squared, I know you had a little note on neo-Cartesianism, um, so I don't know if you want to talk about that, or we can move on to the final bit section. Oh. Um, mm -hmm. oh, all I was going to say is, like, um, like neo-Cartesianism, like, everybody, like, if you mention it, like, people, like, bite your head off. It's, like, a really <laughs> controversial kind of thing to bring up, but, like, I think it does actually need to be taken seriously, even like if after just a little bit of thinking, you're like, yeah, this doesn't work at all. Like this has too many like wrong consequences. I do think it's still worth taking 
like seriously and considering um, why can't a theist say that? Yeah, that's good. Um, so the next section we're going to do, and this is the final one, and then if there's like questions relevant to the debate, we'll do a little bit of that. Um, is is evil strong evidence against God? Um, so all I'd say here again is like what I was bringing up earlier, because to me, like this was like the important part of the debate. Because like, sure, like you can say like like if you get grant these certain facts, like to some degree, it'd be some evidence. But like, let's say like um, maybe some. And this is why I try to bring these examples up. Was like, let's say someone's like on a scale of like zero to one, maybe like 0.9 that God exists, like. So let's say they, they reflect on the problem of evil and they go from like nine to like 0.88. Like I said, I'd go maybe like 0 0.05. So nine to 0.85. Like that's not very strong evidence. Um, if you only go from like 0.9 to 0.85, which is like when I thought like in light of like different like theodicies and defenses, like there's not good credence to have this like big shift with regards to the problem of evil. Um, so that was kind of like my big thing. And then like kind of defending that, um, I gave my defenses and theodicies, but like I just want to bring again up like, for evil to exist, like you need this conscious life to exist. Um, so in my mind, this is like the kind of like check on the evil being strong evidence against God, um, because you need something which in my mind seems to be very strong evidence for theism first to run um, the evidence. I'm just going to put up on the screen here and then we'll go to you guys. Um, Jonah, who I think is listening, he put a blog out and he put this out really well, a lot better um, than I thought about it. And he just talks about like how we have to build this conscious life into the like this is what we'd expect given indifference. Um, so let's say like the problem of the evil, uh, the, sorry, the probability of this evil existing is one. And if conscious life being 0.1, we have 0.1% for this or 0.1 for uh, indifference. And let's say that the probability of this evil is like 0.1 given theism, but conscious life existing is one given theism, we're at 0.1. Um, so if Jono's like maths are right here in terms of assigning the probabilities right, like at, then we're at a stalemate and it wouldn't even be evidence. Um, but I mean, we can debate that, but it's just to point out, like, as we were talking about before, like conscious life is a very big assumption that has to be built into the problem of evil for it to be considered evidence. Um, so yeah, turn to you, you, Kyle. Sorry, I forgot to unmute. Um, yeah, so I think that, um, you know, sort of what I've said before, like, why is it evidence? Like he didn't really defend why it's evidence, except like for the most part, um, how strong evidence it is and that type of thing. Um, you know, I, I would, if it were me, right, if it were me making the argument, then I would sort of, um, and I did in my prep debate this for you, I did this in my prep debate, um, where I was, uh, I prepared to draw out why we should not expect this on, uh, on, on theism and stuff like that. And I think that's really important to do. Um, let me see. Um, yeah. And so one thing I want to agree with firmly, um, with, uh, uh, Emerson on that he said in this section. Um, was sort of in response to some theodicy. He said compensation is not equal to justification, mm -hmm. um, and I agree. And he also says this thing about like um, uh, where he was talking to you about like heaven and stuff like that. Um, and he is like, so is God just going to like snap his fingers and make it heaven? And he's like, at no point in this process is it leading to that. And I think that th those two points like are very very good from Emerson and very like pointed like for the theist. Like um, we don't need to think of um, not, I'm not going to go out and say that all instances of compensation for evil are morally unjustifiable. Um, that may be the case. I just haven't thought too much about it. Um, but I do want to say that, that, that we should lean towards thinking um, that God has some intentions and that the evil is sort of collateral damage, so to speak, um, towards those intentions. So it's an unfortunate necessity that has to take place 
um, towards God's goals. No one is really caught in a crossfire like animals or something like that. I think that, that making a theodicy around those sorts of things is something that the theist should really aim to do. Um, and uh, yeah, and then the last thing is like, um, you know, I, I haven't really been talking very much about Emerson's argument so much as his response to your arguments, but um, Emerson's argument against animal soul building. So I guess I would just challenge him if he's, he's like listening, like why would you think they can't soul build? Because I mean, it obviously seems totally plausible that most animals can grow in some sense. So they can grow in their cognitive capacities. They can actually grow in some broad sense in their characters, right? So you can take a, uh, a dog from the wild and you can train him, right? And he can become a sort of um, more adept dog. Adept, I can't speak. He can become a more adept dog and stuff like that. And so um, these are like small um, instances. And obviously, I mean, my cognitive, cognitive capacities, your cognitive capacities, the dogs, they can all grow while I still maintain whatever essential properties um, there are that make me a human or that make it a dog. And so given that animals can grow, given that they can grow in their cognitive capacities, like, and even, even brings up like instinct, like why well, I think their instinct can't go from being suffering inducing to goodness inducing. Like, um, I guess I just wish that, uh, or I, I would, I would hope that maybe next time he uh, gets into this, that maybe he can bring up some more interesting stuff because it just seems not at all implausible to me that um, given those sorts of things, even like real empirical examples we have of animals that literally grow in their cognitive capacities and they grow in their, so to speak, character, like it just doesn't seem all that implausible to me given what Emerson has said. Um, like I don't think that's a good defeater to the idea that animals can soul build. So that's that's mostly what I have. So. I, I do want to say one thing before Square jumps in is I was reading John Schneider's book on very good book. I highly recommend it if you're interested um, in like animal suffering and the problem of evil because he really just focuses on that um, in this book. And what he talks about is the end. He talks about like Trent Dougherty's proposal, which is similar to what Kyle's suggesting. And then he talks about um, like his own proposal with regards to like animals and eschaton and um, like unredeemed suffering and things like Rose Fawn or um, things like that. And what he talks about is like, giving Christian theism, one of the greatest like honors is to like be a martyr. Um, it talks about how like in a sense, like given like in, in, in the eschaton, like we're going to praise the martyrs in, in terms of like thanking them for like their sacrifice, not like, oh, they're like God or anything, but like, you know, like thanking them for their role um, in this story and giving themselves as like a sacrifice. And what Schneider thinks is he thinks it's possible that maybe animals would be like, maybe in that, like a similar perspective as like the martyrs where he thinks that potentially, um, humans could see the role that animals played in their sufferings. Um, I think not only for like in like the ancient past with regards to like predation or like things like that, but even like animals that, you know, like we eat cows and stuff now where we could come um, to think these animals, not in terms of like praising them, but like, you know, how like you'll pet your dog and, um, and like have like, we could have a deep appreciation for these animals. Um, in some sense, maybe these animals could like understand, even though maybe not develop into like full fledged like souls. Um, so all that to say, like, there's different proposals on how the animals could soul build or um, have some sort of appreciation where their sufferings um, are not just compensated, but redeemed and come to, like, a greater light. Um, but, yeah, sorry for interrupting. I'll turn it to you, Squared. Uh, thank you. So just my conclusion of the debate, um, I think that, like, Emerson, the way he defined indifference really hurt him in this debate. Um, 
I think what he should have done is like having it like treat theism as like this global theory and then bring in his own global theory and then compare the two global theories on how well they explain animal pain. I think if he did that, he would have done much better in this debate. And like you could uh, probably get a like the complexity of the theories in of themselves would be probably intrinsically equal. And then from there, maybe you could get to suffering faster on um, a naturalistic global theory than theism. So I think that if he didn't do that, then I might say that um, I might bite the bullet and say like, yeah, actually suffering is, um, or like animal suffering is strong evidence against God. We just have strong evidence in favor for God at the end of the day that counterbalances it. But that went to be on the basis of the case that Emerson brought to the debate. Mm. Yeah, super helpful. Um, so what we'll do now is I think Jono had one question that was super re relevant and um, it was about like auxiliary hypotheses. Um, so I'm going to find that one second here because that was something a lot in this debate uh, was that Emerson talked about how like, well, you're just adding all these auxiliary hypotheses into your hypothesis, um, which kind of like hurt my like debate. Um, so Jonah's question was like, can Zach clarify, which is theodicies he thinks are auxiliary hypotheses versus entailments. And this is something I don't know. I mean, so like, I think about like given theism, like God has the resources um, for say like an animal afterlife or like soul building for animals, things like that. So it doesn't have to be something like God exists and this other thing exists to allow for this to happen. Um, so my kind of thought is where, when I bit the bullet on having auxiliary hypotheses was like, okay, well, yeah, the probability of say like an animal afterlife isn't one. So like there's a chance that like this is wrong and then um, there's no way. Um, so that's kind of what I was thinking with regards to like the accusation of like having like auxiliary hypotheses um, or entailments and, and things like that. So, I mean, obviously I think there is like ultimately because God does exist, there is some reason um, and the probability of that reason is one. Um, but the question is like, what is that reason? And I don't know. I have possible solutions, but I don't know. Um, I don't know if anyone has to add anything uh, to this. I think that, uh, and uh, I don't think there's any, any like perfect entailment. Like there is a 100% chance that you go from God to this other hypo this other addition to your um, theory. But I think that at, um, at like an animal afterlife is considerably high because it's like um, the the ceasing to exist of a good creature like that, that would in of itself be an evil. So if like any animal, which is like their existence is a good and they can cease to exist forever, that would actually be surprising under theism. So I think that we would expect these animals to continue to exist forever. And then it's like, okay, uh, would they be able to learn from it? Would they be able to grow? Well, I would also be surprised if under theism, there's like this maximum amount of growth that any animal ever attains. Like what I would expect under theism is like an ascension of their natures throughout um, eternity. Mm, so I think yeah. that it's a, I think it's closer to like a 0.9 kind of following from theism than a 0.1 following from theism. Mm, yeah, that's interesting. Um, Kyle, you have anything you add? Yeah. Um, so obviously I've talked a lot, so I, I you know, I, I'm going to try to keep myself as brief as reasonable, but um. Uh, I will say, I think that, you know, at least the way that I read what you were saying, um, it seemed like at least the consequence of the way you were forming your arguments is that they would sort of come across as, uh, um, as, as auxiliary hypotheses. 
um, what you need in order to make it an entailment um, or you know highly predicted. So I'm not I'm not sure that we can make an entailment. So there's a paper by Alex Proust that I'm sort of mulling over about divine incommensurability um, that might that I used to say that certain things were entailments of theism. And now I'm kind of like, well, that seems highly predicted, but I'm not sure we can say that the probability is one. Um, but, you know, we can still make high probability statements about these things. Um, so I would say that, that, you know, Trent, the best part of Trent Doherty's book has, in my opinion, has nothing to do with the um, animal theodicy stuff. That's all interesting. But the best part is um, how he derives his prediction, um, which is sort of the same way I would follow. And then obviously Swinburne has a bunch of stuff about that. Um, so I think you need to sort of engage something to show um, how it is that you're deriving these things from theism. So if we have good reason to think that like um, certain values are things that God would value, um, not to be redundant, but I'm talking in different uh, um, predications there. But um, if we have reason to think that God would value certain things, um, then uh, it seems like we could sort of predict that. It's a little bit difficult to get into here, but I would just sort of forward everyone to um, The Existence of God by Richard Swinburne. Or maybe if you're looking for a lighter read, Is There a God? Um, and I would also forward them to Doherty's book, um, particularly, I think it's, it's either chapter six or nine. It's called, um, uh, I think it's called the Saint Making Theodicy Positive Phase or something like that is the chapter. Um, and I think that that can give people some sort of starting ideas on how one might um, entail or predict these things on the hypothesis. Um, I think that those are sort of good ways to go. And those are things that I think are worthwhile to engage with. That's one thing I think that you can improve on for, you know, maybe the next time that you do a debate like this. Um, and I think that's a really great thing is um, just sort of work on like asking yourself, like, what does theism predict? Like, why do I think that? Why do I think that this is related to that? And that sort of thing, you know, going a priori from the hypothesis to the entailments and the predictions. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I honestly like just reflecting on like my own um, process in this debate. Like, I really like enjoyed this debate and like the way it went because like Emerson like when he came on I was like oh shoot this is gonna be um with his OB statement I was like oh shoot this is gonna be tough like Emerson's very well read he knows his stuff um and I grew a lot from this debate like just like like even like before I started prepping I was like I don't even know if evil is evidence against God like like thinking in like a Bayesian way but like if you think in a Bayesian way like if you frame the problem right I feel like it's inevitable that it's gonna be if you frame it right um the question is like is it strong evidence and that's where I'm like no I don't think so um but like like this like i feel like debates like this definitely like make us better like and i hope for like people listening like it wasn't just about like oh some theist trying to save theism or some atheism trying to save atheism but just like really just like looking at like this very serious like question and problem with like animal suffering um especially with regards to the problem of evil and like well, what's the point of this like and it seems like like if even if you're a theist like that's something you really have to address and take seriously um and if you're an atheist, well, it's something you could say and point to to say, well, maybe there isn't a God, even though, like, I don't think it's good evidence. Um, it's definitely something worth bringing up because it makes us all better. Um, so do you guys any have do you guys have any last thoughts before we wrap up here? Um, start with Kyle, I guess. Um, you know, good debate. I enjoyed it. Um, I enjoy watching you guys. Um, I mean, I've enjoyed watching you as you sort of grow throughout, you know, reading a bunch of stuff and that sort of thing. It's always fun um, as you're getting more educated, you know, you're bringing, bringing the heat more, bringing better stuff to the table. Um, so I'm, I'm glad that you're doing that. Um, and obviously encouragement to Emerson to keep doing that as well. Um, he's pretty well read and um, 
I appreciate panpsychism, so I'm I'm friendly to that view. Um, and he's obviously very well, well read on consciousness. So um, anyhow, just keep being well read, keep being thoughtful, being self-critical of positions. Both you and Emerson should do that. Um, always a good thing to do. So, Square, do you have any last thoughts? Mm, I'm not, I don't think so. I agree with like what you, uh, your two you guys is um, your guys is kind of assessment of the debate so much that my plan was to basically just sit here and nod my head along as you guys talk. And then I remembered, ah, I'm not on camera. I can't do that. Got to actually like say stuff. So yeah. I, yeah. Uh, hey, I just would like to echo what Zach and Kyle have to say. Yeah. You know, squared, you can always like turn that camera on and then I can clickbait it and be like apologetic squared shows himself to the world. And then I could get a bunch of views and, you know, beast it's popular YouTuber. Um, so just saying. <laughs> uh, maybe one day selling his face <laughs> online for views hey kyle you don't have your, your your camera on either so i don't think you really have a position in this so yeah hey at least it's not my fault so <laughs> yeah well it's been so much fun and i love both you guys um very grateful for kyle you helped me a lot in this process and, and squared is a really cool guy and i'm glad you guys both joined me today um so if you don't follow these guys, um, you can follow Apologetic Squared's YouTube channel down below. And it's also like just added on like the descriptions. You can check it out. Really great content over there. And I'm really glad Square joined us because I really appreciate his take. And he's a lot of fun to chat with. And, you know, Kyle's okay. Um, but um, Kyle, is there any way pe people can follow you? I know I got it covered for Squared, but um, I don't know. If there's any yeah, I have a YouTube channel waiting in the wings. But I'm doing a lot of um, study and stuff right now. I really want to... Um you know, bring good, good content rather than me as I'm learning to do things. I want to be able to um, bring stuff to the table. Um, and so that is there. Um, you know, I have 48 subscribers who are waiting long for nothing. Um, but point being, I am moving towards um, some philosophical, particularly, you know, philosophy of religion um, is of great interest to me, as well as other things. I, I like metaphysics in general. Um, so if you like that sort of thing and you're willing to be patient and wait a year, then uh, go subscribe to my channel, I guess. Okay, important question. Who's going to release less videos a year once you get going? You or Tim? And I'm referring to Infoking It's, Deism, it's probably going to be Tim once I get started because <laughs> I'm, I'm hoping to do all the prep work in advance. Tim is like doing the prep work all the way through. So, yeah. <laughs> and so much love for Tim. Like, oh, he's, um, he's such the bomb. He's, he's so great. I just roasted him because, you know, he's my friend. Um, but yeah, Squared, Kyle, thank you guys so much. It's been so much fun. So glad you guys did this, joined me for this debate review and took the time to listen to me talk, which I don't know if you should have done, but you know, you, that was your choice. Um, and it was a lot of fun. So thank you guys one last time for coming on. I really appreciate your time. Anytime. Thank you for having us. Awesome. And I encourage you guys to check both these guys out um, and to Thomas, Kyle, Dead End Frog, Jono, everyone else. Have a good one and God bless. Have a good one, guys.